will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. That's right. Welcome back. Season two is on its way. Man, we're fired up this afternoon. I guess this morning we have another in-studio guest, and I'm super excited. It's going to be from a unique perspective, uh, and I know that this is going to be uh, something that a lot of people are going to want to hear. Uh, today we have Randall. Randall? Hey, guys. Man, and Randall is, uh, he's an alumni of S2L Recovery, the program that uh, Bruce and I um, are called to lead. And he has been out of the program for three months, and uh, I've been talking with Randall quite a bit. He is a local guy here in the area that I am. And, uh, man, I've just seen some awesome things happening in his life in a short amount of time. And so I thought it to be appropriate, Randall, to bring uh, you in, and because we have a lot of alumni that listen, we have a lot of families of, of alumni and a lot of families of people who struggle with addiction or maybe someone who's never been to our program, but they're struggling or have struggled. And so this is a very cool opportunity, man, to get a guy in here who's in the mix of it, man, who's, who's feeling the things right now in this moment. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted the opportunity to, to have you come in, tell your story. And if you don't mind, man, I'm going to ask you some questions that we get all the time. Are you down? Absolutely, man. Go for it. All right. So why don't you lead us in? Tell us a story. Tell us a little bit of how, what led you to S2L, the, your history, uh, where you're at now. Uh, just you're wide open. Go ahead. Man, so, wow. What led me to S2L? Well, what led me to S2L was definitely um, an addiction. Um, yeah. Obviously that. Um Man, that addiction that uh, my family had no idea about, uh, my wife didn't know, um, nobody had any idea. Um, I just, I hid something away and I tried to sweep it under the rug and um, yeah. man, it just began to claw claw at my life and, and began to just spill out in every aspect of my life. And, um, you know, I, just, I knew what I was doing was wrong and, um, you know, just through the Lord, man, he kind of just broke me and uh, came out. Yeah. Yeah. Help. So many, so many people's stories is that double life, right? That my wife didn't know, my family didn't know, I kept it secret until you couldn't anymore. And, and a lot of times it's some action brought some things to light. And sometimes it's that conviction. And you just can't, you just, you're so done that it's just like, you know what, I'm going to end it or I'm just going to confess it. And so, but, but let's go back. Tell us a little bit about um, your story leading up to, the point of you going to your wife and just saying, here's the deal. But just tell us, tell us kind of leading up your history, your story, uh, your childhood. I mean, was it a good life? What was it? Okay. Where do I begin, man? Um, man. So growing up, man, I never heard about Jesus. Um, just really growing up, my parents were, um, man, they were Buddhists. Um, they came to the U S as refugees. Oh, wow. So man, just being taught, um, just kind of, um, man, if you live your life good, man, and, and in merit that, you know, you'll be able to just have a, a good life. Um, that's what kind of my parents kind of taught me. That's the Buddhist. That's yeah. the, okay. So merit and good life. And that's what, um, the Buddhism moralistic code was, was that if you, I mean, and, and help me here, cause I've studied religion too, but merit, do this, do this karma, right. Yeah. And, and the, after the, the next life. 
Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you do merit here in, in this life, you'll be reincarnated something, you know, something of great value. And yeah. if you live a poor life, you'll be reincarnated as a fly. And, you know, I just choose a fly because flies are super annoying and I don't yeah. see any use for flies. But that's kind of what my parents kind of taught me, man. And, um, wow. you know, they... You know they valued their uh, tradition and, and, and their heritage, so you know they brought that with them as refugees, and they begin to instill that in my life and um, show me practices of um, idol worship, um, offering food to um, the spirits to please the spirit. So I begin to see um, things like that at a young age, and um, um, so yeah. Um, so what did that do to you? I mean, as a young age, I mean that because one might argue, okay, teaching a child to have good morals, to do good things, to do that, that could be good. Where, where did that fall? Where did that go wrong? Well, man, honestly, I think it began to give me an identity issue. Um, oh, wow, man, it began to instill, um, you know, you know, an ambition, um, you know, and at a young age, man, you can't really help um, what you're taught by with your parents because. I mean, at that point, who do you, who do you trust? Who do you trust at that point? And your parents, and they begin to take care of you, nurture you, and you don't have anyone else really to look at but your parents. So, man, they begin to just instill those, again, traditions in my life, and that's all kind of what I had to follow. That's all I had to follow at that age. Um, now, seeing that with them, um, going through that, um, man, I really didn't believe in what they were teaching me Um because the way they live their lives. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, so the way, um, you know, they began to live their lives counter to what they were teaching me, uh, man, was absolute um, in destruction and chaos. I mean, mm. uh, man, their marriage was at a demise. Um, probably every day of my life, um, it just began when, to, when they're going to say quit. Mm. Well, let me break this down. So this is just from a from a theological standpoint, um, and why I think that is. And this is just you know studying religion, those kind of things. Um, so you teach moralistic deity or deism, well, not even deism, but moral moral morals, doing good, doing these things to earn the afterlife, the best afterlife, crumbles because of the human heart, right? Uh, deep down, everyone knows that they can't be good enough. They have these wicked things going on. And what fleshed out in your life is you're being taught to do good. That's a great thing to teach. You're being taught to have these morals, and you're going to earn the better afterlife. And what you're seeing is the people that were teaching you this were human. And all of a sudden, not only human, but things in their heart were showing, and their marriage was at a despise. So what does that translate to a child? Man, they're not going to have a good afterlife. If everything's based on my merit... And merit alone, and yet you're watching this. So, of course, you had an identity crisis. No wonder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I saw all that in the wake of my parents' destruction, man, and I wanted to be absolutely nothing like them. That was my sole purpose of growing up. It's like, I'm going to pull myself out mm. of this mess whenever I get the chance and be free from all of this. And I began to, um, man, learn um, a very, very probably – terrible thing to learn at a young age, begin to stuff uh, my trauma, begin to stuff these wounds and, and, and almost truck through most of my life, just wow. truck through most of my life on, man, I'm just going to blow through life, um, yeah. not dealing with the deep issues um, inside of me. Suppressing feelings. Yeah. Wow. 
so yeah, man, um, one of my parents, um, had to kind of go to a psych ward, uh, at some point, man, just in the, their, you know, in the destruction of their marriage, man, things began to come at a real breaking point where, um, kind of just the crippling point of, of everything where, you know, one parent left and the other parent had to pick up me and my brother. Um, and then when one parent came back, the other parent just dipped out. Wow. Pretty much just abandoned us. Uh, came home from school one day. Um, never, never saw him again. Wow. Haven't seen him since. Um, and then after that moment, um, you know, as a child, you know, what, what are you left with there? You know, and you're just kind of like, Going through, and I feel like at that point, at that age, I was like, you know, what else could happen? What else worse can happen? And then we ended up um, moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, probably a year or two later after all that happened, and, you know, had no idea why we moved to uh, Tennessee. <laughs> but I, l- later in life, I found out um, one of my parents came here as a refugee. Oh, okay. So it was kind of the beginning of his life. So, okay. Um, but yeah, so after wait, uh, Moving to Nashville, um, you know, you come in as a child and you don't you don't know anybody. Um, you just kind of try to figure out, make friends, and and then you just wear the the wounds from your past, you know, with your friends. Uh, you're making your new friends. You wear those wounds out there, and um, you know, um, I guess after a while, um, we had I went to one school and to another school. Um, man, somebody kind of um, sat by me um, and just kind of talked to me. And he was like, hey, man, have you ever been to church? I was like, no. Well, I've never heard. What, what is church? Wow. What is church? And he began to kind of tell me the things that happened. He was like, man, you get to learn about Jesus and come hang out. It's really cool. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, I have nothing else going on for me. Like I had just moved and left everything behind me. And it's like, so why not? You know, sure. let's hop in. Let's go. And I kind of began to go to church. Um all, all of it to me was a cool hangout place. Um, back then, I was like skateboarding, so it was like the really cool thing to do, and that's all I wanted to do. And um, just began to hang out there and sit through the messages, sit through the worship, sit through the small groups. Had no intention of of doing. I just wanted to hang out. I just wanted to get away yeah. um, from home and and everything else. And um, after a while, man, um, my ears started to kind of open. I began to start listening, and I was like, man, like. Jesus died for me. Mm. What? You know, and, and that began to um, spark something inside me because when I heard that, you know, when I heard of growing up hearing Buddhists like, you got to do good, you got to do good, you got to merit this, but then somebody righteously lived to die for me mm. while I was unrighteously living. Wow. That's and, huge. And that's the theology. So that's the whole point of why moralistic deism or moralistic. Um, to eternity doesn't work is because we can't ever be that. We can't ever be that moral enough, good enough to earn an eternity. And the whole thing with Christianity is, like you just said, Jesus came and lived that perfect life, that perfectly moral, perfectly righteous, perfect life, life died for us. And now if you have, and as you've learned, you know, and, and as Christians know that if you believe and you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, that his righteousness, his morals, his goodness is now imputed to you. And your punishment that you deserve is now placed on him. The great exchange. 
pretty awesome stuff. Keep going. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Hey, absolutely. It's a beautiful exchange. Um, but yeah, man. So, you know, hearing that message began to dispel um, things slowly. I wanted, that's what I wanted. I was like, man, if he died for me, that's, that's what I want. I want that salvation. Like, wow. Like, that's what I want. And so God began to slowly, slowly work that. And, you know, obviously I was like, yeah, Jesus, you know, I want to, I want salvation, you know, get baptized. And, and then, you know, the whole nine yards at that age. And, um, man, just began to um, do life within the church. Um, but there were some ramifications that were kind of still going on inside of me. Um, you know, you be, you go to church and you learn, you know, the ins and outs and you, you do life with the community. You, you go to trips, you go to that. And, uh, um, man, that's what I did. I did, I did those things, but there's still something a little bit off inside of me. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt like, you know, when, and, and it was that trust, it was trust and doubt, mm. um, at times in my life. Cause I was wrestling, um, throughout all of this high school, just, keeping that with inside of me and not letting God in that. I would box God out. I was like, I'll do everything else. I'll go to church on Wednesdays. I'll, I'll serve. I'll go to mission trips. I'll do all this stuff. And, you know, I'll proclaim the name of Jesus. But you can't have this part of my life. Mm. You can't have this part of my life. You know, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to deal with that. Like, no. that's, you know, whatever. And um, so I, I kind of trucked through, you know, life in, in that aspect, in the church. Um and of course, man, God God did some great things. God did some amazing things um, during that time. But there was still there's still something in there that I didn't surrender. Um, and kind of just spilling after that, um, or beyond that, in, in kind of my college years, and um, you know, just kind of trying to figure things out. And yeah, and and knowing Randall, so I know Randall. I've had uh, to, the awesome opportunity to spend some time with him, talk to him. So when he's talking about, you know, I, I, I'm not ready to give that up. I mean, we all can relate to that. And, and just so you can imagine, you know, Randall's really given us the PG version of Aston to really, you know, hey, let's get through this. You don't have to get through it deep. But you can imagine just listening to the words he's saying that the family grew up in, um, the fighting. And then he said one of his parents had to go to a psychiatric hospital and he's breezing past this stuff. But guys, you can imagine the the lack of trust that he has and the feeling of needing to suppress and for protection, for self-protection, self-preservation and move on. So as he's saying these things, know that, man, we all have stuff, but you can know that what he's gone through growing up, the lack of trust, seeing and being told certain things. And now he's hearing this gospel and it's hard to just let it, give it fully up and lay it all down. And um, now he's, you went from, you're in college now in your story, but you went from skateboarder to star football athlete. You've got, I don't know how that works. Normally those are two different lifestyles, but you're football athlete in high school and now you're in college. Um, wait, didn't you start dating someone in high school that's important? Oh yeah. So my wife, absolutely. She'll kill me if I share that and talk about her. So yeah. So I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. Um, man, we, you know, ups and downs, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure out breakups and getting back together but man we ended up getting married uh, man and she's an absolute uh, blessing man and she's a extremely amazing woman of the lord um awesome but yeah on that so um you know college just trying to still and still you know kind of same identity crisis inside um just not giving stuff out but man we kind of just fast forward to um kind of present now what kind of just happened 
Um, so this year, basically, my story would be probably adoption to addiction. Mm. Um, you know, we um, this year we actually um, began the process of adoption. Um, not this year, but actually last year, kind of the end of the year, we began a, 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 the process of adoption, and, and man, it was a it was an amazing time because um, man, God provided through um, our adoption so quickly. We just had we had announced it. Two weeks later, God began to kind of just move quickly. Um, adoption to uh, addiction. Um, so me and my wife always wanted to adopt. Um, that was a um, just what God has always put on our hearts, and and definitely hers um, first at first because she has a sister adopted from China, yeah. and so I was always opened up to the idea, and and I wanted to be opened up to that, and you know, so I felt. You know, I was like, yeah, I definitely want to adopt. I was, I was all about that. And so we, um, at first we began to obviously, you know, try, but you know, we always wanted to adopt too. So, um, through trying and stuff, we kind of like, you know, we're just like, all right, let's kind of uh, reevaluate what's going on here. And it's like, you know, let's, let's, let's try adopting. Yeah. And let's try, you know, let's get in that process. And, and my wife, um, you know, she's, she's like a go getter. So it's like, if she wants something happen to happen, she, puts all our time and energy and begins to, you know, let's go, let's go, let's start making calls, let's start filling out paperwork, let's get our home study, let's do all the stuff. Um, and so that's what we did, and we did that. Yeah. Um, God began to um, really just swing open doors um, through that process. We had announced last year in uh, November, and um, we ended up with a situation Two weeks later, after we had announced, wow, and ended up um, adopting a boy locally here, yeah, um, and man, life was grand. Life was great. I was like, wow, like that was so quick, and you know, and then what ended up happening is, man, the birth mom changed her mind, um, and that there was things weren't so great. Yeah, how long did you have the boy home? Uh, man, for eleven days. Yeah, so um, he was he was at your house twenty four hours a day for eleven days, uh, and then the birth mom in the state of Tennessee, the birth mom can change her mind at a certain amount of time, and she did. And so you said it wasn't good because because she legally was able to take that boy back after being at y'all's house for eleven days, and the rooms painted, the pictures were being taken. And in fact, I heard the story from Scott Horde. He was Scott Horde was on the podcast, uh, and I know Scott was big in helping in that process because Scott does a big abortion ministry and connected that mom with you guys. Uh, and so he said that y'all were taking pictures, and he had to call you in that moment, right? Yeah. So um, Scott Horde, man, the amazing man right there. Um, Scott Horde actually he plays in the picture because we got our video shared on News Channel Five. You know, we reached out to News Channel Five and said, "Hey, will you, you know, share this the story about this competition we're in? We just we want to win money towards our adoption, and you know, all the stuff." And that's how Scott Horde kind of found us, and he contacted my wife right. through Facebook, and um, he's like, "Hey, man, I got this situation," and that's where um, Lowry came from. Yeah, and what he was saying, I believe I've heard him tell the story that. When she made the decision, the birth mother made the decision that she did want to keep Lowry, y'all were actually taking family pictures at that time. I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we were taking pictures of Santa Claus. 
Yeah. Um, my wife was, I was at work. Oh, okay. Um, she was with her family, um, taking pictures of Santa Claus and, yeah. um, we got the call and it was like, my wife's like, you need to come home. Yeah. So that started you down a path of just destruction. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like losing him kind of just uprooted, um, or not, I won't say uprooted, the roots that were, I was dealing with, all the trauma yeah. in my life began, began to kill me inside. Yeah, everything that you had suppressed for so long, this was a uh, boiling point. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a boiling point, man. I, fe- I felt abandoned mm. at that point. I felt like, why is it me? Why me? Why do I have to go through all these things? Mm. When, when things are going so good in my life now, and and versus the things that happened to me at a young age, like why me? Yeah. And those roots of of abandonment, um, man, just unworthiness and uh, acceptance. Yeah, all those things began to root out and began to, uh, you know, surface. Yeah, surface. And so yeah. you numbed them with drugs, and yeah, and you, you. I mean, we don't even have to spend a ton of time on that. But I think the drug use and things like that began earlier on. But this really kicked it into a um, high gear, and then short in a shorter period of time, you were addicted. You couldn't put them down. You would yeah. have physical withdrawals, and it began to. You began to steal. You began to do these things, um, and then tell us the day because you you opened up with that point of. Or, or we talked about it. You know, there's two things that happens. You either get caught in an action or the burden of conviction so heavy, it's just like you're done. Tell us about that day. Yeah, man. So that day, um, the most scariest day of my life, um, just absolutely terrifying. Mm. Um, and, and terrifying because, you know, for me, I just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you know, I either was going to die from using drugs or I was going to get help. And, and those are my two options. And, and that day was a fight of itself because, you know, as we know as addicts or, you know, in an addiction, we know that we're going to manipulate anyone and everyone and even ourselves. Yeah. And talking ourselves out of doing what's right. Yeah. Um, you know, we're morally so jacked up through our addiction. And, um, so that day, man, um, that that day and and really that night before I began to um, man I I was done I, I was done I was so done I was done in every aspect of my life I had given up on myself I had given up on absolutely everything in my life and and I began to just kind of look back like I I can't I can't do this anymore um, I can't do this anymore like I can never be the man that God has called me to be I can never lead my wife I can never do anything in in any good on my own anymore because that's what I was doing and I was doing everything in my own power to try to beat this thing and so that's when I was and I was done so that day and that day I I wrote a letter the night before um I had full intention of giving it to my wife that morning um full intention I'd stayed up probably 30 hours Mm. um just because just the weight of what I was going to come out with and um you know just totally ready to come out and next morning i didn't want to come out that's right i was like you know what i can just sweep this on the rug and i can hide this you know and 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 it was a warfare i mean it was a warfare in my mind like yeah it was a battle i mean if 
I were, if anyone was just imagine a battle, the, the, the most gruesome battle ever, that's what it was. Yeah. And just battling it out and putting it off and putting it off. And, and that day, I was keeping myself busy. I began to, um, I had to mow the lawn and I was like, you know, in my, my warf- warfare mind, mowing the lawn, trying to put this thing off. And um, I get a text message um, from, um, from the uh, student minister. At the church, is like, hey man, um, you know, I heard you were gonna kind of drop out of leading uh, groups, and I was like, yeah, man, dude, I'm not spiritually fit. Mm-hmm. And given that answer right there, um, I don't know what it was, and it was definitely the Lord, uh, definitely the Holy Spirit, man, it just wrecked me. Mm-hmm. It, it wrecked me in that instance of just, man, you can't do this, you can't beat this without me. Yeah, and God just began to work in that moment. And I literally texted him back and I was like, Hey man, can we meet up? And I knew from after I sent that text, text message, there was no turn back. Hmm. And, um, that day, um, or after mowing the lawn, about a few hours passed by and I met up with him and kind of just spilled, spilled everything out, poured it out. And he was like, you know, he's blown away and he's like, man, how can I help you? And I was like, man, I, I got to get help. And I kind of just kind of told him probably what needs to happen. And um, he ended up calling you. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was actually funny. I was I was pulling into the church. I, I had a meeting for a prison ministry discussion meeting. Um, and as I pulled into the parking lot, uh, Ken, Ken Hampson called. Yeah. It was the student ministry. And he said, hey, man, I need to talk to this one. And I walked in, Randall, man. And what I saw was just a broken man. You were broken, man, and just ready. And you, man, from there, we went to your house. Uh, you confessed to your wife. Her parents came over, uh, and that was hard. Because um, all the while, man, in this process, God was restoring you, and you didn't even know it. You had already, you, you had lost one child in an adoption, but now you were you were almost finished with adopting a beautiful baby girl, your daughter, who now is your daughter. And um, I just remember the fear in your wife's eyes, your in-laws, and then you just broken, uh, just weeping. And so, man, long story short, man, you came to the S2L, spent some a few weeks, six weeks with us. Um, and man, just watching you over that period of time, just watching you being, uh, your yes was on the table, whatever was asked of you, you did whatever. And you were hungry, man. And you were, you were searching the Lord and just allowing God to restore you, man. And, and laying things down that trust, like that full part of, you can have it all except for this. That's what that six weeks I think was important because it was like, okay, even this, I trust you, God, even this, all of me, all of me. And man, uh, you've been rocking it out. You've been doing great things. Um, I want to I want to close us with this because it's just an incredible story that we could talk about for a long time. But we've given the people a flyby, a ten thousand foot view of what Randall is. Um, and then now your your, ref, your wife restoration, uh, your daughter it's finalized. Uh, you're the an amazing father. Um, your in-laws restoration and that relationship. Um, but I'd like to close with just this. What would your advice be? Three months removed, so many questions we get um, from alumni. 
what would your advice be? Some of the struggles that you've experienced in three months, because it hasn't been just all rainbows and unicorns, right? I've walked with you through this process. I know the struggles. It hadn't been rainbows and unicorns, but what advice would you give? Because you have joy now, man. Like even through some of this struggle that we've gone through in the last three months, not like addiction related struggle, but like just family and trust and these kind of things that, you know, that you weren't necessarily um, ready for. You have joy, man. You have a joy. And so what what advice would you give for for anyone out there uh, who's either uh, a family member or someone who's coming out of um, a rehabilitation center, anything like that? What advice would you give? Because it's so fresh for you, man. And this is just a realist realist answer that we could give like i could give the answer but man i'm years removed and so i'm not feeling the same things that you are what would you say yeah so obviously man i've been three months out so i'm pretty you know fresh out um so like you said i'm obviously dealing with you know everything after s2l or after you know rehab and man my advice my advice to um first is to whoever comes out um, you know, we have to realize that we are in an environment where we're unplugged from the world. All we have, all we have, is a focus on ourselves. Yeah, the bubble is what yeah. some people call yeah, it. Yeah, and the bubble, and you know, we come out so full. We come out ready to fight um, everything that you know, or not, not necessarily fight. Begin to try to restore everything that you had left in a wake of destruction, and that's what we have to remember: is we come out full. And we leave everyone else completely depleted. Um, and we have to remember that that's going to rub completely opposite of each other. And we have to remember, um, and you know, I'll say this to S2L alumni that come out, is that we have to remember that peace, um, that peace that surpasses all understanding. And when we live in that peace, joy comes out. Mm. And so in, in the wake of you trying to deal with um, your spouse and your family and your job because you know they're gonna not trust you, right? Um, that 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 is human nature not to trust you, and and going, you know, through the things that you've done to your family, um, and we have to begin to fight that fight and and remember God's word, mm. um, and instill God's word, and 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 to check our hearts too. Um, and I would tell any and any alumni student as they get out, man, check your hearts daily, um, because what you've learned during that time you're there at S2L um, begins to really uh, spell out when you get out. Yeah, because our hearts have always been the issues of, yeah. of everything, and we have to dispel that with God's word and begin to align ourselves with that. Um, and so that that was that was my fight. So when I was going through the feelings of. Just everyone looking at you and um, everyone just, you know, like, hey, man, like, you, you did that. Yeah. And like, I know I did that, but I'm not that anymore. Yeah. And and then I would say to the family members um, and that, man, just to, just to, especially, man, if you're, you're, you know, you're a believer in Christ, just to trust in God's goodness hmm. um, and begin to walk with that, um, your loved one. And begin to be encouraging, and and not to focus on um, what had happened, but begin to speak life, and 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 see that, and and trust in God's goodness that um, even though you went through a rehab, that God loved you enough and gave you grace and mercy 
to get through and to come out better and we got to work on that yeah one thing i always say to families and it's probably a hard i know it's not probably it is it's probably a hard pillar to swallow a family member hearing it from us on our end uh but what i always try to say with boundaries be in a position that in your heart that you're willing to allow trust to be earned right we're not asking you to trust these guys right when they get out uh how could you that's an unrealistic expectation but in a, a heart condition, be in a position to allow that to become because some aren't, some aren't, and that's the point. If you're if you're going to allow trust to be earned, then that's the right place to be. I always tell people, and I'm going to close with this, Randall, because one thing I've noticed just observing you that I think is important. Uh, the reason I believe Randall is just is just has this peace and this joy, and that he's rocked out is obviously is, is his foundation's Christ. Um, but the reason that he's staying there is is because Randall has been very intentional about what he's doing. He's been ferocious. He he won't wait. Like he he texts me. Like it, and it doesn't have to be me. But if you have someone that you're meeting with, right? We want you to go and we always say a Paul, Barnabas, and and Silas, right? You want a Paul. Um, I'm sorry, a Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. You want a Paul in your life, someone that's mentoring you. You want a Barnabas, someone that you're walking with that's an encourager. And you want a Timothy, someone that you're pouring into. And what I've seen in you, Randall, is that you're ferocious about that, man. You've, you've allowed me to be a mentor. And you don't, you know, we, we set up a meeting um, for the next week. And sometimes I'm intentional. Uh, man, I'm going to let you pursue this. I'm going to let them reach out and ask if we're still meeting and uh, because it shows me that it's what you want and man you are on it you're texting me hey we meeting tomorrow hey we're gonna meet uh let's meet here and a week goes by maybe i forget maybe i'm not it's not always scripted like i'm yoda will they reach out you know maybe it's not maybe i forget because i'm busy and man you're intentional hey i want to meet i want to meet you're hungry you're going to your pastor at your church you're meeting with them the guys at church uh you're serving at your church you have people that you're speaking life into uh, and so, man, I just want to applaud you. And I would say for someone listening, you've got to be intentional, ferociously intentional and act on those things. And man, I think you've done an awesome job in that. And I think that that's, it shows that, man, you're, you're done with that old life. You know, you're done. So Randall, thank you so much for coming on, man. We, we're going to have to have you on again. I'm sure there's so much that we want to cover, but at three months, man, you've given a fresh, like just a fresh conversation to, to people that need to hear it. And it's just so new on your mind. And, I, man, I'm proud of you. You're doing an awesome job. Thank you for coming and just speaking your your heart and your truth and your your story, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely, man. My pleasure, man. Appreciate it for having me. Yes, sir. That's, so that's Life After Addiction, baby. Next time. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. 
Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.